Our scripture reading this evening comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 16 to 30. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will but the will of him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Before we consider God's word together, let's pray and ask for his mercy and his grace that we might receive it with understanding and respond to it in obedience and faith. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the gift of this word to us. And our prayer this evening is that we would hear the voice of the Son of God who calls us out of the tomb into eternal life. For we ask it in his precious and powerful name. Amen. Well, as we return to the Gospel of John this evening, we return to John chapter 5, and we need to remember where we are in the Gospel and remember where we are in John chapter 5. And John 5 marks a turning point in the gospel and introduces a new theme in the gospel, and that's the theme of opposition and and hostility. And here Jesus is answering the murderous hostility and opposition of the religious leaders. And the reason for their hostility was, first of all, because they saw a man carrying his bed on the Sabbath, and they yelled out at the man, it's the Sabbath, it's the Sabbath, it's not lawful for you to carry your bed. And the man answered, well, the man who healed me, he told me to take up my bed and walk. And they said, who told you to take up your bed? 
Now the man didn't know, but Jesus later found him, and he knew it was Jesus who healed him, and he went and told the religious leaders. And they sought him out. Indeed, John tells us here that they were persecuting Jesus. And they said, how can you command such a thing on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, my father has been working until now. And I also am working. And this enraged them all the more so that they were seeking to kill him. Because he was claiming that God was his father. And he was making himself equal with God. Now that's the context. And what we have in the rest of John chapter 5, and that starts at verses 19, and it goes right through to the end of the chapter, verse 47, is Jesus' answer to these religious leaders who have confronted him. And they have drawn the right conclusion. Jesus is making himself equal with God. And beginning in verse 9, he explains, he elaborates, he reveals his relationship with the Father. And he reveals the glory of his divine identity as the Son. And we're just going to consider verses 19 to 30. So just the first part of his answer this evening. And as we were listening to it, as I was reading it and you were hearing it, uh, you know that this is quite a, quite a dense answer that Jesus gives. There's a lot of theology in this answer. But as we consider what Jesus says here about the nature of the relationship he has with the Father, I mean, this is Trinitarian theology. As we consider what Jesus says here, we don't approach it just with a certain intellectual or theological curiosity. And we don't receive it as a new set of data that we need to take account of as we think about our conception of who God is. And then run away and get on Facebook and debate with people about the doctrine of the Trinity and what this passage is saying. That's not the purpose of this. And let's remember that the children of Israel, when they were in the presence of God at Mount Sinai, were terrified. They were in deep dread. And only Moses went up the mountain. And remember, that mountain was wrapped in thick darkness and a cloud. And the glory of the Lord was hidden behind that cloud. Hidden beyond that deep darkness. And let's remember how John begins his gospel. In him was life, and his life was the light of all men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then we read, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. And the gospel of John from the beginning has been a gradual revelation of the glory of the Son of God, little by little conversation by conversation, sign by sign, the glory of the Son has been revealed to us. And if the children of Israel were in deep dread when the glory of the Lord was hidden behind a thick cloud of darkness, how much more should we approach a text like this in fear and trembling? This isn't for our intellectual curiosity. We approach a text like this in fear and trembling for the glory of the Lord is being revealed to us. And we need to remember, yes, we need to be orthodox. Orthodoxy matters. Right doctrine matters. A right understanding of the nature of the relationship between the Father and the Son matters. But even that word itself, orthodoxy, it literally means right glory, right worship. And our concern isn't just that we have the right propositions and doctrines and we check off the box, but that we have the right worship. We approach God aright in worship. And that's why we began with Psalm 2 tonight. 
Rejoice with trembling. Serve the Lord with fear. And Jesus says that these greater works are manifest so that we may honor the Son, worship the Son. So we approach this text in fear and trembling, and we hear it because it is a call to worship. Now, this is a revelation of the glory of God. It's a revelation of the light shining in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. And there was darkness in the first century as Jesus was ministering and revealing the glory of who he was. And there's darkness in the 21st century as we come to this text and hear this text. And the world is in darkness, and the world is perishing. The world is decaying. The world is dying. And we're very much in this moment in history into which God has placed us and led us. We're aware of the darkness. We're aware of the decay. We're aware of the death. And I think even in the last couple of weeks, as this stay-at-home order and as the lockdown persists, Uh, we increasingly feel the weight of the social isolation and separation that we're experiencing. In Genesis chapter 1, we're told it's not good for man to be alone. Now, that was in the garden before sin. How much more in a fallen world, in a sinful world, is it not good for us to be alone? And there's a social decay, a social death that is happening all around us. And it's not just a social death. It's not just death of relationships. It's actual death. And I don't just mean death from the virus. You look at your news feed, whatever it is. I, was, I opened up CP24 yesterday. Of course, the leading stories are about the coronavirus and the case counts and everything else. But then you scroll down, and there's another story I saw there. There were 40 calls for overdoses to paramedics yesterday alone. 40 in Toronto. Three people died. So where we, we feel the darkness, we feel the death and the decay. We're very much aware of Bill C-6, which looks like it will be passed by our government. And when it passes, it will become a criminal act to come alongside a young person who is struggling with his or her sexual identity or gender identity and minister to them with the life-saving Word of God. That will be a criminal act. Parents could could face jail time of five years. Pastors, Christians who come alongside a young person and seek to counsel them in terms of of, of, of the true and right and saving Word of God could face prison. And then south of the border, a lot of news stories coming from south of the border. Many of uh, many of those stories concern us. But one of, the, one of the executive orders, the memorandums of the new president, was to expand access to abortion, to fund and promote abortion, not only in the United States, but around the world. Now, it's dressed up in the language of maternal health. But what it is, is the murder of children in the womb. That's meant to be the safest, most secure place for a child. We just heard these words from Psalm 139. The Lord is present there. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You saw my unformed substance. God has a relationship with every human being in the womb. And yet, we have a government here in Canada and the United States that seeks to fund and promote the murder of children in the womb. 
And then we, we face the darkness in this time of social isolation, this time of separation. We were confronted with our own darkness, the darkness of our own hearts. And we're confronted with our own sin. And when we're separated and when we're alone, our enemy, the devil, comes in. He's the accuser and he's the deceiver and he'll come in. And he will deceive us when we're alone, when we're separated, when we're in the darkness. He'll deceive us. And he'll deceive us in one of two ways. Either he'll seduce us and say, look, that sin's not so bad. It's okay. Look, everyone's going through a really hard time right now. We're all trying to cope. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you're drinking too much. Yeah, you're looking at pornography. Yeah, you, you know, you've, you're short-tempered with your wife. Ah, it's a hard time. Don't worry about it. Not a big deal. Or he'll deceive us by saying, you are so wicked. That sin is so wicked. You are beyond saving. You are beyond hope. You are condemned. You are doomed. One of two ways he'll deceive us. Now, in the midst of that darkness, here... Our Lord says to us tonight, the Son of God cries out to us, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He has not come into judgment. He has passed from death to life. And as we approach this text, which is a text that manifests the light shining in the darkness, I want us to consider three things. So first of all, yes, what it says about the Trinity The religious leaders were right. Jesus was making himself equal with God. And we need to consider what he re- reveals about the relation, his relationship with the Father. And then secondly, the greater works. I do whatever the Father does, but I'll do greater works than these. And those greater works are the works of resurrection, of giving life, and judgment. And we need to consider those greater works of, of the Son the work of resurrection and judgment. And then finally, consider our response to the revelation of the Son. Now, if you're here this evening and you haven't heard his voice and you don't believe the one who sent him, well, I'm praying that your ears are open and that you hear his voice and you believe him and you receive eternal life and you don't come into judgment. But for those of us who have heard his voice and we do believe him, Our Lord tells us here that he has revealed this to us, that we might honor him, honor the Son. And so our response is to fall down on our knees and worship the Son, but also, just as he does what the Father does, so we do what he does. It's a call to do good. So that's where we're headed, and we begin with Trinitarian theology. And here Jesus reveals something of his relationship with the Father, and the relationship of the Father and the Son. And we need to see two things here. First of all, the unity of action and will between the Father and the Son. They are united in action and they are united in will. So we need to see that. And then secondly, they are united in love and united in life. So let's consider those two aspects of the unity of the Father and the Son. So first of all, they are united in action and in love. Listen again to what Jesus says in verse 19. Look there. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, 
that the Son does likewise. Whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. The Father and the Son are perfectly unified in action. But then look at what Jesus says at the end of our passage in verse 30. Just as he said in verse 19, I can do, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, so he says in verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. He's speaking in the third person at first, but now it's clear. I'm the Son. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The Father and the Son are perfectly united in action, and they're perfectly united in will. Now, this union of action, this union of will, flow out of the union of love between the Father and the Son, and the union of life between the Father and the Son. Now, notice what Jesus says in verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Now, Jesus has just said, the Son does what he sees the Father doing. Now, why is it that he sees what the Father is doing? Well, we're told here, the Father shows him all that he is doing. And the reason the Father shows him all that he is doing is because the Father loves the Son. The Father loves the Son, and because he loves the Son, he shows him all that he is doing. And the Son, in return, because the Son loves the Father, does everything that the Father is doing. Now, let's remember that Jesus is responding to the religious leaders when he says this. And let's remember why they are outraged and why they want to kill him. Because of what they've just seen him do. Now Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing. Now they have just seen what the Son is doing. And the Son has said, yeah, what I'm doing is the work of the Father. The Father has been working until now. And so the Son is also working. So I am also working. Now if the Father shows the Son all that he is doing because he loves the Son, the implication is the Son is showing us what he is doing because he loves us. And in fact, that's why the religious leaders, why he is showing them what he's doing, because he loves them. And as we read through John's Gospel, I mentioned at the beginning that there is this gradual unveiling of the glory of the Son. This gradual unveiling of glory. And the Gospel of John is a Gospel that we need to read and then reread. And in fact, it's required that we reread it. And we're rewarded if we reread it. Because as we are reading, there is this further unveiling of the glory of God, the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And the Son is manifest to us. And as we read on, there's more that's revealed to us. So as we read on in the Gospel, Jesus will begin to speak of the Spirit. And by the end of the Gospel, he's talking a lot about the Spirit. And he says, the Spirit will come and bear witness about me. And he will show me to you. And he will show you greater things even than than what I am doing. Now, when we get to that point, we need to have remembered what we are looking at tonight. The Father shows the Son all that he is doing. The Son is showing us all that he is doing. Why? Why do we see what he's doing? Because the Spirit bears witness. Because the Spirit shows us. And the fact that we see, 
is evidence that God's Spirit has given us eyes to see. Just as the Son sees what the Father is doing, so we see what the Son is doing. And the reason the Son sees is because the Father loves Him. The reason that we are able to see what the Son is doing is because the Son loves us and has sent His Spirit. And the Spirit of God has given us eyes to see the Son and eyes to see what the Son is doing. Not only that, has given us a new heart that we might receive the love of God. Not only that, but turned our hearts that we might in turn love the Father and the Son. And so as we read through the gospel, the, the, the glory of the Lord is revealed and, and unveiled. And as we come back to a passage like this, if we know what's, what's coming, we can better appreciate what we read in a passage like this. So the Father loves the Son. And Jesus will say later, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So they are united in love, their love for one another. But they're also united in life. Look at what Jesus says in verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Now Jesus is saying something here about the nature of his relationship with the Father and the life of the Father and the Son. And we might read what Jesus says here. We might, we might hear it this way. We might interpret it this way. That first there was the Father. And the Father had life in himself. And then at one point, he gave life to the Son and granted the life to have, some, to have life in him, himself. We might read it that way. We've also read in John chapter 1 that the Son is the only begotten. He's the only begotten Son from the Father. And again, we might hear that phrase and think, oh, at one point, the Father begat the Son. And so now we have the Son. But we need to remember that John begins his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Son. And the Son was with God, and the, and, and the Son was God. The Word was God. So the, the Son was with the Father, the Word was with God, in the beginning. There wasn't a time when all of a sudden the Son was with the Father. Now, I'm a father. I have three children. I have not always been a father. From the moment of my birth, I was a son. I was a brother. At one point along the way, I became a husband. And then, when my first son was born, or when he was conceived, I became a father. I've not always been a father, though I am a father now. That's not the case with God the Father. God the Father has always been the Father. He's always been the Father. Just as God the Son has always been the Son. Always the Son. So there's always been the Father and always been the Son. And that's why we say in our creed, and it's helpful that we've been reciting it week by week, that the Son is eternally begotten from the Father. Eternally begotten. And the reason I'm saying all of this is because here Jesus is saying that the life that the Father has in himself, he has granted to the Son, and the Son has that life in himself too. But that's eternally so. That's always been the case. Now, Jesus hasn't said this to us so that we can go away and work out our Trinitarian theology. And make sure that we don't interpret this phrase the way the Arians or the Jehovah's Witness or other do, and then we can make sure we go and get our theology straight. 
That's not why Jesus has said this right here. The reason Jesus has said the Father has life in himself and has granted the Son to have life in himself is because he is talking about the fact that the Son gives life. I give life. As the Father gives life, I give life. I raise the dead as the, as the Father raises the dead. And he says this here about the life of the Father and the Son because he wants us to know that the life that he gives is this life. It's the very life of the Father and the Son. And that's why it's eternal life. It's not eternal life because it's life forever and ever and ever. You know, and you just keep turning the calendar. That's not why it's eternal life. It's eternal life because it is the life of the eternal Son from the Father. It's His own life. The Father has granted the Son to have life in Himself, and the Son now gives you that life. It's eternal life. And so we hear this text, and the revelation of the glory of the, of the Father and the Son to us, and the love and the life of the Father and the Son to us is revealed to us not just so that we have the right view of God but so that we know the love and the life that they have given us and it's their own love for one another and it's their own life eternal life now Jesus is saying to these religious leaders yes you have just seen me raise this lame man that was a great work but I will do even greater works the Father has given even greater works and those greater works, he, he tells us in verse uh, 21 and 22. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Yes, he just raised this lame man on the Sabbath, but he says, I have come to do greater works. I've come to raise the dead. I've come to give eternal life. And it's the life that I share with the Father. I've come to give you that life. So yes, this is the gift of immortality. But it's the gift of the very life of God himself. And so this speaks to the quality of this life. The, the eternal life of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that they share. We are invited into that life. We will abide forever in that life. And abiding in that life, we abide in that love. Then also Jesus says, the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Now I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon, the various examples of darkness, of wickedness, of evil that we see happening around us. And tonight we are reminded that the Father has given all judgment to the Son. And the Son, the one who comes bearing and giving this eternal life, is also the judge. And the Father has given him to execute judgment. And our Lord, the Son of God, sees what's going on right now. He doesn't look any of it, overlook any of it. And, as he says here, on the last day, he will execute judgment. He will set things right. And this is a warning to our government that our Lord sees what's happening with Bill C-6. And he will judge it. It's our prayer he will judge it in history, but he will judge it on the last day. 
And a government that passes such laws will stand, will, will give an account and will be judged on the last day. So the, this memorandum of the President of the United States, he will face judgment on the last day for this. This is not overlooked. God will set it right. But let's remember what Jesus has said in John chapter 3. It's not just that on the last day there will be judgment. Remember that Jesus says, even now, the world is under condemnation. The world is under judgment. Those who do not believe in the Son are already condemned. Already under judgment. And the reason that they don't yet face that final judgment is because our Lord in His patience, in His grace, and in His mercy gives time for repentance. Gives time for those who have ears to hear the voice of the Son of God, calling the dead out of the graves, calling sinners to hear His voice, to come to Him, to turn to Him in repentance and faith, to receive life. But our Lord warns us, you are under, if you don't believe in the Son, you are under judgment right now. You are under condemnation right now. And the, the weight of your sin, you are carrying. And it's as, if, uh, it's as if you are cast into the sea with that weight of sin. And I don't care how good of a swimmer you are, that, sea, that sin is going to carry you down to the depths of the sea. And only the Son of God can rescue you from the depths. And the truth is, it's not just that we need help swimming or somebody to, you know, we're, we're trying to tread water. The truth is, we are at the depths of the sea, in the depths of the sea. We're dead already. We need a resurrection. We need to be brought up. And the voice of the Son of God calls us from the tombs and he calls us out. And those who hear his voice and believe in the one who sent him have eternal life. And he says, they have not come into judgment, but have passed from death to life. Now, we needed to hear that. They they have not come into judgment. Now, why is it that they have not come into judgment? And Jesus, at the end of our text, says, My judgment is just. It is just judgment. And the just judgment of God for our sin is death. That is the wages of sin. That is the penalty of sin. So how is it that dead sinners can pass from death to life? How is it that we avoid the judgment and don't come into judgment if God is a just judge, if the Son, if the judgment of the Son is just? And here's the reason. These greater works of the giving of eternal life and judgment come together in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. Because there the just judge and the life giver dies. And there the just judge bears the judgment for our sin upon himself. He takes the weight of that sin. He bears the condemnation and the judgment for our sin. He goes into the tomb. He goes into the depths of the grave. But death could not hold him. And on the third day he was raised from the dead. And so that's why Paul says he was raised for our justification. He dealt with our sin. He dealt with God's judgment on our sin. He was raised for our justification. He comes to us now, the risen Christ, and says, hear my voice, receive my life. You do not come into judgment. And it's my prayer that any, any of you here tonight 
who have come here not believing in the Son. It's my prayer that God's Spirit would give you ears to hear His voice calling you out of the grave. That you would turn to Him in faith. That you would receive His life. That you would not come into judgment, but pass from death to life. For those of us who have heard His voice, who do believe in the One who sent Him, who do have eternal life, what's our response? Well, the Son says that the reason the Father has given Him these greater works of raising the dead, of giving life, and of executing judgment is so that all may honor the Son as they honor the Father. And we are a people who have been saved to worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have been those who have been saved to honor the Son. That's one of the reasons we gather here Sunday by Sunday, on the first day of the week, on the day when Jesus was raised from the dead, because we have eternal life. We've heard his voice. We stand up on a Sunday morning, the first day of the week, and we stand up in his life and we honor the Son. And that's why we come together, to declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we respond in worship. That's what orthodoxy is. It's right worship. We respond in worship. We join the, the heavenly liturgy, which is happening day and night. The myriads of angels, the 24 elders, the four living creatures, who are crying out continually, glory and honor and blessing and might be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Yes, honor to the Father and to the Son. But not only that, we, we do good. We do good. Jesus says that those who have done good are raised to life. Those who have done evil are raised to judgment. Now, why does he say that? Does it mean that after all, it is our good works and we just have to try really hard and keep the law and then we'll be raised to life? And if not, well, we've done evil, we'll be raised to judgment. That's not why Jesus says that. And, he's, and, and he says it after he said everything else. And here's how we should hear that phrase. Think of it this way. The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he is doing. The Father has life in himself. He has given the Son to have life. Because the Son is loved by the Father, because the Son shares in the life of the Father, because the the Son sees everything that the Father is doing, the Son does what the Father does. And he wills what the Father wills. Well, we have received the, li- the love of the Son. We have received the life of the Son. We have seen what the Son is doing. And in the same way, we do what the Son does. We will what the Son wills. That's what it means to do good. Yes, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. But remember what else he said at that Last Supper. As I have loved you, so you ought to love one another. And because of the eternal life we have in Christ, and because we abide in his love, we do good. We cannot help but do good. We want to do good. And as we look out at our current situation, and we look out at the decay and the death and the darkness all around us, yes, there are various people responding to this. There are politicians who recognize the injustice. They're all politicians who stand up and they speak against it. 
And we agree with them, and we're glad for that. But we respond to the death and the decay and the darkness and the injustice in the power of the resurrection life of Christ and in the light of his judgment. And so doing good means, yes, when we, when we see this culture of death and this funding and promotion of the murder of children in the womb, well, we cry out for them and we work against it. But we work against it in the power of the resurrection life of Christ and in the light of his judgment. Yes, this is a time where we are facing social isolation and social separation. And this is the, the devil wants nothing more than to separate people, than to isolate people. You just have to watch you know, David Attenborough on a nature show. This is how predators work. right? You separate one from the flock and then you destroy it. Now we've all been separated. Now the devil, yes, is a deceiver, but he's also a murderer. He seeks to destroy. But we live in the resurrection power of Christ. We have eternal life. And so we respond to that by saying, no, we're not going to be separated. No, we're not going to be isolated. We will come together. And let's remember what... what what the Apostle John writes, the same Apostle that wrote this Gospel in in his first letter, he's saying, I write these things to you because uh, so that your fellowship may be with us, so that we might have fellowship. And our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. And then he says in verse 7, that we are to walk in the light as He is in the light. Walk in the light of the Son. Abide in the love of the Son. But he says, when we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If we are walking in the light as he is in the light, if we are abiding in his love, if we know his life, we will have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sins. Now, when we're separated, we start to doubt that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sins. And when we're separated from one another, we're not walking in the light as he is in the light. And he's not just saying, yes, we have fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and somehow, vaguely, virtually, spiritually, we have fellowship with one another. That's not the case. Because we have fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. And the fellowship we have with one another is this kind of fellowship. We see one another. We're with one another. And yes, we are in a time where there is sickness. And we're told for for the sake of life and for the sake of love, we need to be separate from one another. Well, the gospel says, because of the love of Christ and the love of Christ, we ought to be together and minister to one another. Pray for one another. Lay hands on the sick. So yes, this is a time of darkness, a time of decay. But we don't, we don't simply want to protest lockdowns or simply want to protest what's going on because we, we have the eternal life of the Son. And we live in the light of His judgment. And because of that life and in that light, we do good. And we have fellowship with one another. And that communion that we have with one another and that fellowship that we have with one another is no no more clearly displayed and no more 
powerfully known than when we come to this table. Remember what the Apostle Paul says. The cup that we bless, is it not fellowship? Is it not communion? Is it not participation in the blood of Christ and the bread that we break? Is it not participation, fellowship in the body of Christ? And there's no clearer demonstration and no, no more powerful, there's no, no, no greater moment of our fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit and with one another than we come, when we come to this table. So let's come to this table now to receive this bread and this cup, knowing that we have eternal life in the Son. We don't come into judgment, but we have passed from death to life.